Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Catherine Salman. Catherine is author of Ambition Redefined, Why the Corner Office Doesn't Work for Every Woman and What to Do Instead. She's a career coach, speaker, and recognized leader in helping women navigate the many stages of work and life. Through her blog and coaching firm, Nine Lives for Women, she is one of the few voices strongly encouraging women to always work at every age and life stage to achieve long-term financial security. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. I'm delighted to have you here. Yes, it's great to be here, Ursula. So in your book, um, Ambition Redefined, I, uh, I was so interested to read that you strongly encourage women to work at every life stage in order to reach long-term financial security. And uh, tell us about that. Why is that so important? Well, women tend to take at least one costly career break to care for family, and that could be children or aging parents. And every year that you're out of the workforce, um, a woman gives up up to four times her salary. And what I've seen as the um, average amount of time out to care for children, um, which is 12 years, that's 144 paychecks that are not earned, saved, and invested. Mm. And that's very hard to make up um, once you return. Well, I know at one point in your book, you said the cost of child care shouldn't keep women out of the workforce. And that, that's the rationale, essentially, right? Because you're losing not only the money earned, but also the longer-term financial benefit. Right. And also, you're, it's not just your salary, it's the benefits um, that you're giving up as well. Um, the, let me just start again. Um, that's right, because it's, it's not only the salary that you're giving up, you're also giving up benefits. And when you look at the childcare cost for the five preschool years, it really is a lot less than the cost of being out of the, the workforce. So you really have to think about childcare as a cost of literally doing business. Mm. Yeah, and, and what's so, uh, what is so interesting is that you've really worked on developing this network of companies that really work with women to kind of deal with this complexity of, of life and work and how to interweave the two. Uh, I always talk about business in the context of life and not the other way around. So as an entrepreneur, you have a life in your businesses within it as opposed to the other way around. So that's really what your 
talking about, right? Of women balancing those two. Right. And, and not, not seeing work as just a selfish pursuit of power and prestige or, you know, power for the sake of power. But the, the conversation about women and work often is not put in the context of financial security. I mean, obviously at the, at the more, you know, disadvantaged demographic, um, that is talked about more. Um, but among women, um, who could afford to stay home for some period of time, the discussion is all always about, you know, whether you're going to be a good mother if you, um, if you work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's really, um, it, it, that's really beside the point. I mean, I think that obviously many, many women, mostly all women are good mothers, um, despite the fact that they work because so many women have to work. But, um, you really have to think of it in terms of your long-term financial security. And women who feel that they must be at home with children 24-7 have to really think about it in terms of those are the very same children that you could burden if you run out of money late in life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it has long-term repercussions. And it's not just children. It's caring for aging parents as well. Well, that's right. And that's what the other piece that women are not really thinking about. They have, typically they have two caregiving jobs for children and for aging parents. And if you're married, that's up to four aging parents um, that you could have direct or oversight care for. And women tend to be the primary caregivers for children. Um, Even though men are getting more involved, women still shoulder most of the responsibility and women are also the, the primary caregivers for aging parents, even when they're in-laws and even when it's uh, oversight care. It's, it's very time consuming to manage, mm-hmm. you know, all the caretakers, you know, for, for an elderly parent. Um, um, so both caregiving jobs are, you know, very life consuming, but you, what I'm trying to say is that there are many ways that women can work now um, that give them the flexibility to nurture both their families and their financial security. And there are, you know, six different ways that you can work in a flexible way where you're, you know, getting some sort of a, a paycheck from an employer. And then of course there are also, you know, hundreds of thousands of, entrepreneurial ventures that you could come up with on your own. Um, but I, but I see that there's so much talk now of, you know, women breaking the glass ceiling, uh, women reaching the highest echelons of the corporation. And interestingly, that kind of mindset is now going over to the entrepreneurial side. Now there's kind of a, well, there's kind of a, a power sisterhood among entrepreneurs and there's, you know, some disdain for, you know, women who might just have 
um, you know, a home-based business, um, the mm-hmm. among the power sisterhood, if you're going to have a business, you're going to have one that's going to be exponentially scaled and sold. And I, you know, mm-hmm. so I think in either way, as an entrepreneur, or you know, in a within a corporation, um, or in some way serving a corporation, you're um, you're made to feel that you know the only way forward is up, and that's mm-hmm. not true. Um, there are many definitions of ambition and success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I've, I've been involved in the high growth startup community, and there's a lot of attention and resources paid to that realm, whereas it's not the only way to go from an entrepreneurial perspective, if that's what women choose. So I, I know you've been an entrepreneur most of your career. And so one thing I was surprised to read in your book is uh, you say, beware the entrepreneurial option. And uh, tell us why why that's a, why you said that why you said it that way. Well, the reason I say it is because I've been coaching women since 2002, and uh, women who are in the workforce or trying to think about ways to get back into the workforce, they tend to think that an entrepreneurial venture is the answer to everything. That <laughs> right. you know, to be your own boss would be you know the holy grail and and then you know you can have your family and it and it all works out what i have found is that there are very few people actually in the world who have what i call the entrepreneurial gene or that are type e as i call it Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of women and men have these Walter Mitty dreams about being an entrepreneur, but they don't really understand what it means to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, I'll talk to women who say that they want to start this business or that business. And then I'll, I'll start asking questions and I'll say, um, are you, um, good at sales? And, you know, lots of women will say to me, Oh, sales. No, I never had a sales job. I can't stand sales. No. And I'll, and I'll say, well, if you have a business, whether you're selling jewelry or consulting services or a product, you have to be good at sales and marketing and accounting and um, all the administrative things. And you have to have a sense of technology. And so there are these, you know, many, many different hats that you have to wear as an entrepreneur that you don't necessarily have to wear if you're just, you know, uh, a marketing manager at a corporation because someone else does the IT and someone else takes care of the administration and there's a whole sales team. And, and so you really have to be aware of of the holistic job and skill set that that you need to have and the fact is that most entrepreneurs are really not going to get to that point of you know the five-year survival point unless they spend an enormous amount of time with their business which really turns into kind of a 24-7 type of environment and it then becomes what I call K 
caregiving job number three um, <laughs> after children, aging parents, and this business. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not for everybody. I mean, it's a wonderful yeah. option if you've got, you know, that holistic skill set or if you have the resources to to hire people who have those skill sets. But, you know, an awful lot of people at the very beginning don't have a lot of resources. Right. Entrepreneurs end up doing it all. So, yeah, I've, I've been an entrepreneur since 1996 and people always say, oh, that's so great. You have your own company. You can take time off whenever you want. And I always respond, well, the reality is that you can also work whenever you want. And it usually involves working a lot more than a, a more prescribed job does. So, yeah, it's, there's a bit of a there's definitely an illusion around the, the romance of entrepreneurialism for sure. Well, to come at this from the perspective of uh, the employer, I mean, you've, I, I, uh, you wrote that employers can do more to help resolve this kind of work-family balance struggle that women have. And I, you quoted a Harvard Business School study that 80% of employees say that caregiving affects their performance versus only 24% of employers. So that's a, a very dissonant gap in understanding of that whole issue. Yes, and it's um, it, it's becoming better. I mean, it would be disingenuous to, to say that the problem is, is still as severe as it was even five years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I think that um, employers are much more aware. Um, there are many big household name corporations that are really throwing a lot of money and resources at these issues. Um, but the, the reality is that leadership training at most companies is about getting more women to the top. And there really needs to be more discussion and acceptance around women who have a different form of ambition and and don't really care if they get to um, the top of the corporation or don't have the personal bandwidth to get there. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not ambitious. And it, and it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they don't want to continue to grow their portfolio of skills and that they, they don't want to, you know, continue to grow in place. Well, it's all of which is beneficial to the organization to have people who want to grow and expand their, their skill set. Absolutely. And uh, Mercer um, just did a study about um, the most thriving companies. And what they found is that in these thriving companies, there is a lot of lateral and rotational movement. And hmm. for a woman who has a lot of caregiving responsibilities, that's very attractive to be able to work in a lateral way or to um, to be able to focus on and experience different areas of a company uh, without necessarily taking on, um, you know, managing many, many more people or, you know, being at a senior level, that's still an opportunity to grow and to and to develop your your portfolio of skills and, and knowledge um, and so I think that 
that that's the way that companies need to think. They're they're doing a terrific job with um, diversity of race and gender and being very aware and very embracing of all those differences. But this is another form of, of diversity that really needs to be addressed. Hmm. So how can leaders in organizations retain great women in their companies while managing temporary departures or flex work? How, how, can, how can leaders do a better job of that? Well, I think that the, it has to start with um, addressing the elephant in the room. You know, an, an employer might say, well, she never said anything to me about the fact that she was, you know, struggling in trying to blend work and life. But women typically don't talk about it to their bosses. They don't talk about it to their colleagues. They don't want to be perceived as a lightweight. And um, so they're typically not talking about it until they're at a breaking point and, at, and until they've made the decision to leave. Mm-hmm. So employers really need to, to be um, more proactive. You don't need a degree in rocket science to know that any woman who's on maternity leave or any woman who just got back from maternity leave or any woman who has young children is struggling trying to make work and life work. And so to be proactive, to start the conversation, to make it safe to talk about these things without, you know, within reason, without, you know, you don't want to get away from the professionalism of, of work, um, but just to um, to open up the conversation so that you can save women from, from walking out the door. You know, get your senior women to, to talk to younger women about how they did it. How did they manage to get um, to the top of the organization and still be a mother and still be the daughter of aging parents? You know, what, what are their best practices? It's, it's got to become more of an open conversation because women are thinking all the time that they have one foot in and one foot out. It's just mm-hmm. the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned something really important that I think people sometimes consider a career only relating to larger companies, but in fact, smaller companies can be more flexible around these issues and can and be more helpful in finding a resolution that works for everyone. That's right. The, the large multinational corporations have a huge job to institutionalize flexibility across large global workforces. That's, you know, that's particularly difficult. But a smaller company, and I'm not necessarily just talking about a mom and pop or, you know, a company that has less than 50 employees. I'm just talking about companies that aren't those huge corporations, um, major household names, you know, even companies that would be considered more midsize have a little bit more flexibility to be flexible. Um, there's not so much bureaucratic red tape. Um, the, 
the senior people are much more visible and you can you can set examples at the top of you know taking advantage of flexibility without penalty and you can you know create um, flexible work structures that um, that will work um, for everyone women and men you know anyone who wants a more flexible structure so uh, one of the ways that you've really facilitated that is to create the Flex Work for Women Alliance. And I, I looked at the number of companies that you have listed there, and they're, they're doing such great work. Can you talk a bit more about that and, and uh, how that's, how's that influencing things? Well, there's a growing cottage industry of companies that are focused on helping women find flexible work. And they are basically recruiting firms but they're they're very focused on flexible work opportunities and they're out there advocating for women and for this need for flexibility and and showing employers that they're representing very talented highly educated women who have great resumes and just need to work in a in a less traditional way and they're making great headway um so all of the companies in the FlexWork Alliance are slightly different. You know, they all have different geographic regions or um, functional focuses or industry focuses. Um, but they, they all share this goal of helping women work in a more flexible way. So they're moving the needle. Um, I've tried to to highlight all of them so that women know that they exist and it's, it's good to register with them and, uh, and follow them, um, what they're, you know, what they're posting on social media and get on their mailing list and all of that. I mean, the reality is that thousands and thousands and thousands of women want flexible work and all of these companies combined are not going to be able to find flexible work for all the women who want it, but right. it's another resource. It's, it's likely you're going to have to make flexibility happen on your own, um, but you could be, be lucky and there's no reason not to align yourselves with these companies as well. Do you have any recommendations for those situations where it's not a company is necessarily far along in this kind of thinking, uh, some recommendations for how employers and employees can start to engage in conversation around this? Well, one of the, the, the structured ways that organizations can, um, can start the conversations is through their employee resource groups. Um, at many companies, um, you know, mid-size to um, you know, up to the giants, there are um, internal women's networking groups or leadership groups. They all have different names, but they all are there for the same reason to, you know, help help women help each other, basically. And there are also in many um, companies uh, parenting groups. Um, 
And some of them, some companies are starting caregiving groups, which are more broad than parenting, which would include, you know, aging parents. Um, I was speaking on a panel last night um, and uh, there was a fellow there from JP Morgan and they have um, a men's ally group, meaning that um, they have a group of men who want to be allies for women. Um, you know, so all these groups, um, the structure for the conversations are there. It's just that they've got to have the conversations in a way that is productive with, you know, here are potential solutions. So, for example, I mean, I go and I speak to, you know, different women's groups. One of the things that women have to realize is that if you want flexibility and it's not in the employee handbook all beautifully figured out and, you know, this <laughs> is how you have to follow it, which right. is the case in most companies, um, you have to be ready to make that happen on your own. Um, but most women will lob a very simple request for flexibility. They'll say, you know, at the end of a busy day at a meeting with a harried boss, I think I could work from home on Fridays. And that's kind of the sum total of their ask for flexibility. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're asking for something that you may feel entitled to, but it really is um, still not, um, you know, 100% common practice throughout the business world. So you really have to think it through and you have to make a professional pitch for flexibility. Mm -hmm. You have to right. think about, you know, what does it mean if I work home two days a week? How am I going to explain to my boss that I have a productive workspace, that I have all the equipment I need? And if I don't have all the equipment I need, then who's going to pay for it? And um, how am I going to communicate with everyone when I'm home? What, what communication tools and project management tools am I going to use? And if I manage people, how am I going to manage them, um, you know, offsite? And, you know, you have to think of all these details and make that professional pitch. And it's also very important to not make it all about you to say, and this is how I think this alternate work arrangement could also benefit the company. So, mm -hmm. for example, it could be that you're proposing different hours and maybe by working those different hours, you could potentially help the company service clients in other time zones, you know, just one example. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so the the structure is there through these employee resource groups to have these conversations, but they need to be conversations that are not just complaining sessions about, oh, you know, it's so hard for me to to blend work and life, it's got to be about solutions and example, case study examples and bringing the senior women in to talk about how they did it, you know, so. So it's really developing a, a thoughtful proposal that you've thought through not only implications for you, but also for the company and you're presenting it in a way of, here's a resolution to this issue and here's a way it's going to benefit the company as well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And 
And in if you're in a, a women's resource group, you can be thinking about it in terms of particular departments. Um, it may be difficult to to you know bite off creating policy for the entire company, but individual teams and departments could be working to create these proposals that you know are very positive and forward thinking and inclusive of women, men, mothers, not mothers, people taking care of elderly parents. I mean, be inclusive of everyone because whether or not you're a mother or you're a caregiver, you know, everybody wants some kind of flexibility to their work life. Yeah. Well, something you, you touched on too in all of that is, is uh, as, as you said, not limited to just child care. There's the the elder care and there's also the uh, flexibility for women who maybe have stepped out of the workforce and, and re-enter at, in their 50s and even 60s. And so what's the value in that for, for companies? And um, I, I liked one of the phrases you, you have in your book, you're always young enough to return to work. So why, why, right. how is that all beneficial all around? Well, right now we're at the, um, the tail end of, of the baby boomers who are, you know, reaching retirement age. So there's a tremendous talent and knowledge drain um, from that last wave of baby boomers um, starting to leave. And so companies are in a different mindset now. It's not that you must retire at 65. Um, Big companies that don't have, you know, carved in stone retirement dates are no longer pushing older workers out the door because they realize that this talent and knowledge drain is is starting and is going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So they're often creating um, situations where older workers can either stay on or that they can stay on in a more flexible way or they can totally leave and and become consultants um, Mm -hmm. for the company. Um, it's, it's a different, it's a different world, um, now, um, you know, where, like, for example, there, there's a tremendous need now for these, uh, knowledge consultants. And, uh, there are many, many companies that, that are hiring older workers for this, for this reason. Um, so it's really, no longer the case that you have to feel that your ship has sailed, you know, if you're in your 50s or your early 60s and you think, well, nobody is going to want me. You have to just be aware that there are certain industries that are always going to be more younger focused. You know, for example, you know, Internet startups are filled Mm. with young people or Mm you know, women's magazines filled with young women straight out of college. Um, But for the most part, companies have, you know, a good range of ages. And and actually now, you know, there's a lot of, of recognition that we have three generations in the workforce. Yeah. And a lot of diversity of experience in all of that as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, and you know, the interesting thing is, Ursula, that women, you know, typically start, who've left the workforce, typically start thinking about returning to work in their mid-40s and, you know, they talk about it and they talk about it and then suddenly they're in their 50s. And, and I always tell women that if they get back in, today they have the opportunity to have a second career that is actually longer than their first career because, you know, lots of women, you know, graduated from college or, or graduate school, uh, worked for a few years and then got married and had children and haven't been back. And, um, and I was flabbergasted once when I created a, um, an event for uh, women who had re- received MBAs and who had left the workforce. And they, all the top schools, the MBAs were from, and a very small percentage of those women who had invested time and money in getting MBAs, very small percentage had worked for even 10 years. Wow. That's, that's so surprising. Yeah. That's a huge time and financial investment. Right. And uh, yeah, that surprises me too. Huh. Well, um, what do you think is the impact of all of this? I mean, of, of your work and of, of work uh, of people within organizations to kind of build a more workable, <laughs> workable um, receptive environment for women to be able to contribute in the workplace. What do you think is the impact of all of this in, on, our, on our society? The impact... Um is is huge it's uh, there's an impact on the economy um when more more women are working um at individual companies um it, you know they benefit from more diversity and um you know women think and act um and and lead um differently differently than men so you know having that diversity is is great um, the individual women certainly benefit because women live longer than men. Women typically earn less over their lifetimes, um, largely because of these career breaks. And, um, and, you know, they are going to be more financially secure. Um, you know, the, the crazy thing is that we are here in 2018. And we we haven't figured this out yet. We've got the, you know, the Harvard Business School women and every other kind of woman still going home. Um, and I'll tell you, a, you know, a fascinating thing. The um, I was tagged on a LinkedIn post and the post was um, from a woman who uh, was working as um, the in a senior public affairs role and she was uh, making an announcement on LinkedIn that she was changing her title from public affairs to family CEO. Now LinkedIn, (laughs) LinkedIn is professional women, right? It's not, it's not Facebook, which could be, you know, a combination of everybody. That post 
have had more than 13,000 likes. Wow. That's and, shocking for LinkedIn. <laughs> and more than 500 comments. Every one of those comments was, you know, they, they're professional women who I can see who, you know, who they are. And every one of them was saying, isn't this great? Go home. You're never going to get that time back. It's so important to be with your children. You know, all these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a mother of two children. I have, they're adults now, two daughters. I love them and they love me. And it's, you know, the greatest part of my life. Um, and certainly I think that motherhood is a noble profession. <laughs> However, only having that profession of motherhood might best be left to the real nobility who have unlimited funds because life happens to all the rest of us. And it is possible today to work in a flexible way and be the mother you want to be. I love hearing you say that because I think so many women wrestle with this perception that you either have to choose one or the other one is um, better than the other. And it really, what you're saying is it really, uh, it's really opening the door for women to think about things in a different way in terms of their work and the implications of what they're choosing long-term. Um, right. As and a I, balance. Yeah. I put my stake in the ground and I say women should always work. And that's controversial. I was the only one on that LinkedIn thread who said, consider not leaving entirely. Right. Um, but I'm not saying work 60 hours a week for a corporation that you have to commute two hours to and do a lot of overnight travel and never see your kids. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that today you can have a part-time job with benefits that if you work for a company that has 50 or more employees for 30 hours, that would get you home in time for the school bus. Yeah. You, can, you can do a freelance project once a quarter while your husband's watching the baby on mm -hmm. a weekend. I mean, right. there are just, you can have your own business and do it while all your children are asleep. I mean, I know a woman who used to be a hedge fund manager who has an Etsy store and she does very, very well with that. And, you know, she's not going to be the one that's paying the mortgage, but she is definitely contributing to the pot. So yeah. to, to say that it's so black and white today is just, it's, it's, it's short-sighted. And it's also simply not true. Yeah, and I, I love the scenarios you walk through in the book to explain how that all works and what the, what the implications are so that people can think about it and make really conscious and considered choices about what they're doing. So I, I love that. Well, Catherine, the, the way that these interviews always wrap up is with a rapid round of three questions. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? You have to 
be willing to be controversial. <laughs> you have to be willing to go against the grain. You know, I, I wrote a, a LinkedIn um, article yesterday about this post, you know, where the 13,000 women liked it. Mm-hmm. And someone I work with said, oh, I don't know. You know, maybe you should tone it down a little bit. And I said, you know what? I said, that is the problem. Everybody keeps toning down this issue. Everyone keeps saying, well, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. You know, and all Mm -hmm. these platitudes. I'm really pragmatic. I'm not afraid to be controversial. Yeah, and I love that. It's great. So the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that has contributed to your success and impact the most? I have consistently built a community. And and today that is even more possible, um, much more possible than it was in years past, um, primarily from LinkedIn. Um, you you know, you want to get your voice out there. You want to um, engage with other people who have similar or different ideas. Um, but you want to be, you know, part of a, of a professional community. And there, you know, there are lots of ways to do that, um, you know, certainly through networking groups and professional organizations. Um, but each of those are situations where you go to a meeting and maybe there may, you know, there could be a hundred people there. It's a two hour meeting. And maybe during that time you talk to two or three people. So LinkedIn is a, you know, very effective way of, of building a, a widespread community and, and social mm-hmm. media in general. Um, mm-hmm. But for professionals, I would say LinkedIn and Twitter is, you know, are, are the ways to really build that community. Yeah. So question number three, what's one insider piece of advice that you'd share with other women who are asking themselves, how can I have impact? How can I possibly affect my own world? Well, I would say that, you know, these, these issues of helping women blend work and life are, are huge. And it is going to make, you know, when when we continue to have solutions, um, it's going to make an impact for hundreds of thousands of women, not only here, but, you know, in other parts of the world. And I think that we all need to be solutions minded. We tend to be um, venting minded. Um, but what are the, you know, what, what are the, what are the solutions? And, you know, one example of that would be childcare. Absolutely. Childcare is a problem in this country. It is pathetic. It is incredibly expensive. Um, but what, what can women do until the government and more corporations get on the bandwagon and, you know, really solve this issue. Well, first of all, they can put pressure on their employers 
and you know, as a group, they can do that. But individually, they also have to help each other, you know, think outside of the box about childcare. And especially if you're looking for flexible work, you know, if you're going to work two days a week and there's another mother who's going to work two days a week, you know, maybe you can take care of each other's children on the alternate days. Sure. Or maybe maybe you can um, create, um, you know, babysitting co-ops. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of throwing up your hands and saying, oh, well, I can't work because um, child care is too expensive and, and too hard to find. And, you know, I, I know a young woman who is not college educated, always wants wants to work and had a baby and she became a school bus driver. She really thought about it. And she became a school bus driver because she could put her baby in the first seat on the bus. Right. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody become a school bus driver. But what I'm saying is there's a woman who thought of a solution and in, in a, in a low-income woman and an uneducated woman at that and didn't just throw up her hands and say, I can't work. Yeah, she found a creative solution. So, yeah, I love that solution-mindedness. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that you've given both employers and uh, women who are out in the workforce and thinking about it, lots of things to think about. And I love your message about, you know, being proactive on both ends of, of having these conversations. So thank you for sharing all of that here today. Oh, it's been great. I've, I've enjoyed speaking with you. Great. Me too. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, through my website, uh, which is uh, Catherine at Catherine Solman.com. Okay. And your book, where's uh, your book? The title is Ambition Redefined, Why the Corner Office Doesn't Work for Every Woman and What to Do Instead. What are, where can people get the book? Um, you can get it at your, um, your local bookstore or um, on Amazon and, and Goodreads, um, which is probably the fastest and easiest way and the least expensive. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Well, thank you again, Catherine. Great to have you here. Oh, thanks so much. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.